Welcome to the Sports Medicine Podcast, hosted by Dr. Andrew Dold, orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine specialist. Each episode, we'll be interviewing an expert in the field of sports medicine and exploring a variety of topics related to the field of sports medicine. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of the Sports Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Andrew Dold. I'm a board-certified orthopedic surgeon and a sports medicine specialist. Sports and sports medicine have always been a big part of my life. I grew up playing ice hockey as a kid in Toronto, and then I later went on to play both golf and rugby through university. And I've had my fair share of injuries and surgery along the way, so I've seen firsthand the influence that sports medicine can have on an athlete's and a person's life. Today, I run a sports medicine practice based in Dallas, Texas. So with no further ado, welcome to the Sports Medicine Podcast. I'm not entirely sure where this journey will take us, but the goal of this podcast is a series of informal interviews with leading world experts on the cutting edge of sports medicine. This will include discussion around a variety of topics, including orthopedic sports medicine and surgery, the management of various sports-related injuries, including the non-operative side of sports medicine, biologics, including stem cell therapy and PRP, physical therapy and the chiropractic aspects of sports medicine and recovery, and then sports nutrition and even doping in sports. Our goal is to make this as informative and interesting for our listeners as possible. Today is our very first episode, and who more fitting than the guy who has been considered the most important man in sports, sports surgeon Dr. James Andrews. No matter the sport, when today's superstars blow out their knees, shoulders, and elbows, the man they call on is an unassuming 66-year-old doctor in Alabama named James Andrews. He's the Michael Jordan of orthopedic surgeons. Dr. James Andrews is one of the most important men in American sport. James Andrews was once inducted into the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame. World-renowned orthopedic surgeon, Dr. James Andrews. 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 Welcome, everyone. This is our first ever episode of the Sports Medicine Podcast, and who more fitting today than the guy sitting in front of me here. He's been considered the most important man in sports, and this is Dr. James Andrews. Doc, thanks for coming. Uh, you, 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 I'm bashful when you say that because that's probably not true, but that's a, a good introduction, Andrew. Yeah, so, I mean, if you don't know who Dr. Andrews is, this probably isn't the show for you. Uh, some of the athletes he's treated over the years, this is a laundry list in the who's who of professional sports. Roger Clemens, Jack Nicholas, Drew Brees, Bo Jackson, Troy Aikman, Adrian Peterson, John Smoltz, Charles Barkley, Michael Jordan, Allen Iverson, the list goes on from there. What's the most valuable lesson you've learned over the years in treating guys like this? Positive attitude. Uh, not only do we have to have a positive attitude uh, ourselves, but we have to promote a positive attitude uh, for these athletes that go through a lot of emotion when they get hurt. And if you just treat the injury it, itself, you can you can. That's one thing to get well, but you've got to get their attitude and and a positive attitude or never give up type attitude uh, for the athlete, for them emotionally to get through the, the, the injury and to be able to come back to their sport. So it's complicated. Of course. So you're, I believe you're 75 years old this year. Is that correct? Uh, just turned 76, but... Uh, <laughs> there you go. He's a young Some guy. people ask me, do I feel old? I tell them, 
the only time I feel old is when I look in the mirror. So I quit looking in the damn mirror. So <laughs> there you go. Your There's question. a valuable lesson. <laughs> so, Doc, what does your typical week look like? I mean, are you still seeing as many patients as you did back in the day? Are you still doing as many surgeries? What is it? What are you doing right I'm, now? I'm doing about half the workload I used to. Okay. Uh, and what's that? And I'm seeing new patients on Monday, and I operate those patients on usually on Tuesday. And I'm seeing new patients on Wednesday, and I'm operating those patients on Thursday. And Friday, I'm sometimes going up to Birmingham at my place up there. But I've spent a lot of Fridays going to meetings or things like I'm doing today over here in Dallas. Yeah. And uh, my I kept my schedule down about half. So I'm only seeing high school, college, and pro athletes now. Right. I'm not seeing the older athletes that I used to see. So we are right now, we're sitting in the offices of Star Orthopedics and Sports Medicine in Frisco. Doc arrived here about 20 minutes ago, and it's just been a whirlwind since you arrived. <laughs> we just saw one of the defensive backs for the Chiefs, and your phone's been going off nonstop. So, I mean, you're clearly still at it. Well, it's a tough time of the year because we've got baseball going on, and all the football teams are cranked up. and. So I'm getting telephone calls about injuries that are occurring early in the, in the preseason, particularly the NFL. And a lot of the, the players that I've taken care of in the past have cranked up full-time and they, they begin to have swelling on their knee. And so it's a tough time of the year to try to figure out how to take care of all these people. Now, you're, you're, you're still considered, I think, by many sports physicians as, as the grandfather for, for giving your okay and blessing for a guy to get back out there. But which teams are you primarily involved in? Who are you taking care of still? Well, I'm the senior orthopedic consultant for the Washington Redskins. As a matter of fact, uh, we've got a game tonight that I'm supposed to go to. So you uh, I was at their game out. last Thursday night. Yeah. So that's what's taking up my time right now. But I'm also the orthopedic surgeon for the for Auburn and for the University of Alabama. And so let's talk about that. What? How do I do that? I mean, those are the two biggest, most competitive <laughs> arch enemies in college football. Maybe. How do you do that? It's it's. I can't explain how it happens, <laughs> but it's basically taking care of our our kids and those two two athletic teams in the state of Alabama. My main uh, responsibility is, is, is Auburn. One of my former fellows in Birmingham, Lyle Kane, is doing most of the work at the University of Alabama. So I don't get to, I don't get to all of their games. I get to as many as I can with uh, of their actual games. But I'm at all of the games for Auburn. So okay, and like that's how I do it. Today, for instance, we're sitting here in Frisco, Texas. You've, where are the Redskins playing tonight? They're playing uh, in... Uh, in uh, Washington. Washington. Yeah. So How are you got get, a game you, there tonight. I've got a private plane. We're going to fly there when I get leave Dallas. We're going to head to so Baltimore that, so I can be at the game tonight. So that's how you do it. You fly around in this private jet of yours yeah. going between football field to football field. It's the only way I can do what I do. So funny story. My dad, when I was about 15 years old, he, he, he knocked on my door one morning about 6 a.m. He said, get up. I left, a, I left an article for you to read on the kitchen table. And he used to travel a lot for work. And I went down there, and it was – can't remember the the magazine, but it was an article about this Dr. Andrews, and this was about, <laughs> this was about twenty years ago. And I remember skipping through this, and it was about how you flew around from football field to football field, stadium to stadium, and treated these professional athletes. And I think it, he knew who I was. It was a way of triggering me just to say, "I want to be like that guy one day." This is this is it, you know. So 
Well, don't believe everything you read. Some of that may be exaggerated. Okay. Well, it was it was it was about it was literally about twenty years ago, and I think sitting here with you today, it's uh, it's been an honor. We've become friendly over the last year or two years. You've become a mentor to me, and I look to you for for important decision making and a lot of stuff. So that's been awesome. Well, you know, the uh, Frisco, where you are right now, is a hotbed for junior yeah. high and high school athletics tons of athletes tons of uh, development in terms of sports medicine and so on so i think we're in a we're in a good spot here on that note why are so many kids getting injured these days well that's one of the things that i'm trying to figure out uh, give you a little summary of that i started worrying about youth injuries in about year 2000 and on monday morning when i have five examining rooms i started seeing my examining rooms filled up with new patients that were 14, 15 years old. And normally the, those rooms had been filled with college kids, pro kids, but all of a sudden I'm seeing more and more in year 2000 youth injuries in all different sports, particularly football and, and uh, baseball. Uh, and so we started tracking those injuries in our foundation uh, the American Sports Medicine Institute in Birmingham when I was there full-time. And we found out over the last so many years that there's been a tenfold increase in youth sports injuries across the board since year 2000. And, you know, there's some, depending on how you count them, there's some 29 youth sports. And injury rates have gone up in all of them. So... That became my passion in trying to figure out how can I prevent injuries in youth sports. And literally what we've been trying to do is keep them, keep these young kids out of the operating room and on the playing field so they can reach their full potential. And in doing so, uh, I spent a lot of time like I'm doing today talking about prevention of injuries in youth sports. What are the big ones? I know we, we ACL injuries, for instance, have got a lot of attention in injury prevention, throwing athletes, you know, t- talk a little bit about the elbow, because I think that's one of the things that got you to where you, you are today in treatment of Tommy John injuries. But I think there's been an explosion in the United States recently with these injuries. It's almost become a little bit of an epidemic for, for throwing athletes. It's absolutely an epidemic. We talk about youth baseball. There's That's where the real big problem is. And it has to do with uh, young kids, even in the third grade, specializing in youth baseball year-round. So do you think and, it's a it's it just year-round participation and year-round throwing balls as hard as you can is part of it? It's all over use. Right. Uh, everybody, every any, any walk of life, you need some time off so you can recuperate. And young kids need more time off than professional athletes. And right now, professional athletes get more time off than our young high school and junior high school kids. And if they're playing sports year-round, that means 12 months out of the year. So that's the major reason that we see the, the escalation of injuries up to tenfold, which we call an epidemic in youth baseball. So there are two things that we that we that we have noticed. One, of course, is specialization, and you know what that means. It means specializing in one sport year round early on in your athletic career. The other thing is professionalism. And these young kids are being trained like they're professional athletes when they're eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve years old. And their bodies are not ready for that intense training. So they're being overtrained, and parents think that the more that you train them, they've got pitching coaches, they've got 
travel leagues. They've got uh, all different types of youth leagues. They're playing in one league at, uh, on the week, and during the weekend they're playing in a second league. So all of those risk factors have, have been the reason for the escalation of injuries, particularly in youth baseball. But those are the two things specialization and professionalism and i think what's ironic there that a lot of people don't understand there's a guy called david epstein he wrote a book called the sports gene inside the science of extraordinary athletic performance i met this guy when he spoke at the anna conference in uh boston in 2000 maybe it was 14 or 15 but a couple of years ago very very interesting talk and he presents his theories on the development of an athlete and how it's a little bit counterintuitive or what you might think in terms of specialization in one sport that isn't actually not the idea the ideal way to develop an athlete he's found that from an early age if you participate in multiple sports rather than focusing on one particular sport specifically and dedicating all your time to that that's actually not the better way to develop an athlete they need to become more of an athlete and a generalized athlete and then at a later age sort of pick their sport and go from there I think you you know that hits the nail on the head, and we have a saying that you should be developed as an athlete first rather than specializing in in one sport. And in trying to develop an athlete first, they need to play multiple sports and develop both sides of their body. And that's called what we call sport sampling. And sport samplers, by the way, when you have young kids like my grandkids here in, in the Dallas area, they're uh, third, fourth grade, fifth grade. They're they're being developed as sports samplers by my, my by my son here locally. And developing them as sports samplers does two things. It makes them an athlete first, and it also encourages them to continue to not get burnt out and to continue to be involved in sports at an older age. And those kids that are playing one sport when they're that young, right? they drop out of sports by the age of 14 because they get burnt out. Uh, yeah, of course. I read an interesting article a few weeks ago. I can't remember where it was, but it was the uh, it was the athletic trainer for the Ottawa Senators of the NHL. And he just gave his anecdotal um, opinion on, on the players that he's seeing coming up in, in, in hockey in their rookie seasons. And just commenting about how they're not as athletic as they used to be back in the day. And his his theory and what we're talking about is these kids have just been playing hockey since they were eight years old. You know, they, they're, they're reasonable hockey players, but they can't throw a ball or, you know, shoot a three-pointer or just other things that you would think that an athlete of that magnitude would be exceptional at doing. These kids aren't as athletic, per se, anymore as they used to be. And I think that's sort of... A product of what we're talking about these kids just specializing in one sport from a very very early age on that they're not their body isn't developed just to be as athletic as it used to be they're just they're just utilizing one part of their body and of course that overuse and they get injured early and their careers are shortened let me give you a statistic that's important you all know what the uh, NFL combines is and that's where we yeah. e- evaluate the players that are going to be picked in the NFL draft each year and in this last year's NFL draft, and I won't have the exact numbers in front of me, but what it's like, 250 football players were picked in the seven rounds of the NFL draft. Well, uh, they, we looked at them, and uh, about 240 out of the 250 played multiple sports in high school. Right. 
So yeah. they were developed as athletes first. Of course. And they're the ones that are that are being drafted in the high rounds to the NFL to play football. Right. So that tells you what sports sampling did for those athletes. It yeah. got them into the pro ranks. So there you go for all the parents out there, you know, getting your kid to focus on one sport from a very, very early age on. Not only will it, you know, make them inclined to, to develop specific injuries that might affect their career, but it's also not the best way to develop an athlete that has any chance of making it to, to the pros. The problem is, is that the psychology uh, of sports nowadays is different. And in the sports systems, for example, uh, I, I had some letters. My little uh, grand, One of my grandsons is uh, just going into the third grade in Birmingham, and he's already having the coaches contact my son's parents about him specializing in a sport, telling them that he's – uh, more he's going to has a, should could be an elite and a as a swimmer could be elite as a baseball player. Well, if you want him to be elite and have the best competition, he needs to specialize in a in, in our particular sport right now in the third grade. And so the parents don't know the difference, and so they're letting them specialize early, and really that's 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 defeating the purpose of them right. being able to be big time athletics. Right. That's interesting stuff. So I want to talk to you now a little bit about this, sort of on this note, of the return-to-play decision-making and the importance of what this might mean for, let's let's use the example of a professional player, the player's family, the player's team, the agent, and so on, and the extreme importance when dealing with professional athletes and this, this important decision. I mean, keeping a player or out for six weeks versus three months could mean the difference of millions for the player or that team. And, and what you use, uh, you've obviously developed a lot of experience over the years. What, do you, what are your main things you're thinking about? And give us some of your notes in dealing with the agent, the team, and so on. Well, when, when, when we get to this point, the first thing I tell them, if we have to operate on them and do some type of major reconstruction, so that they can get back to their sports, they'll ask me, well, what advice do you give me to, for me to get back? And the first thing I tell them is, do not rush the recovery. Right. And now there's so much pressure to come back at an early rate that we're seeing athletes go back early and they're getting either re-injuring the part of the body we fixed or re-injuring, for example, with ACL surgery in the knee they're coming back early and tearing the, the ACL in the other knee. Right. So we got a problem with uh, that so situation. I'm going to pause it for a second and, and blame you on behalf of every sports surgeon out there, mainly for one particular player, Adrian <laughs> Peterson. Now, this is a guy who you did his ACL, correct? BTB? Uh-huh. And he came back five months after the date of his surgery and rushed for the second most yards of all time. Now, I have players coming in here every day of my life asking me about when they're going to be, get back after ACL surgery and referencing AP. I knew that was going to be a problem from work go. In fact, <laughs> I tried to, to to keep it from happening. So t- talk us is, through is that. He, what? He, he was genetically He's inclined. Yeah. And like he a lot was of these not guys the are. average athlete. And I tried to get people that were sensationalizing the fact that he was coming back early to say to these young kids, you can't do the same thing. If you do, you're going to get re-hurt. 
but it didn't work, obviously. Right. And it, it, it set us back probably with trying to control the return to play for the younger athletes. But you 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 got to realize these professional athletes have somebody working with them on a day-to-day basis. Which a lot of people don't understand. 10 or 12 hours yeah. a day. And a, a young amateur athlete, particularly a kid in junior high and high school, they just can't – they've got other things they have to do. But professional athlete, all they got to do all day long is to train to get back. But then you take a special athlete like that, and he can do things that nobody else can do. And then, of course, that trickles down to all these high school kids who are trying to do the same thing. And therefore, our injury rates went up. You're right. Uh, blame it on me, I guess, but I don't think there was any way we could control that. So a typical amateur, let's say an 18-year-old tears his ACL, he has ACL recon, BTB autographed. When are you telling them that they can expect to be back out there? Well, the myth is that they can return at six months, and that's not true. Agreed, yeah. Uh, and, and now with some re-injuries that we've had everybody all the sports doctors are getting more and more conservative about how quick you return somebody with an acl reconstruction and so the parents out there i can i can give them some some statistics that have been proven in some of our research projects and that is for every month you return after an acl reconstruction every month short of nine months there's a five percent increase incident that you can tear the, 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 the injured knee up again right. or you'll tear up the opposite knee. So if you return at six months, there's at least a 15%. That's 5% each month short of nine months. That's a 15 to 20% increase incidence if you return at six months too early that you'll re-tear your graft or you'll re-tear the opposite knee. So the real time is at least nine months before you return. Now, Unless you're some type of special athlete like the one you were talking about. So let's preferably, just, you need 12 months before they return. So we talked about this a few months ago, me and you, when we were reviewing some of those journals. The, the, the athlete that's going to return at 12 months versus someone who comes to your office at six months, their quad circumference is exactly the same. They've been running. They've been starting to practice. What are, what are you saying to this guy? To He's saying, Doc, I, I'm ready to go. I tell him. I give them the statistics we know about re-injury and try to hold them at bay yeah. so that they know initially that we're not going to return them at six months. So what They is, can't return unless you give them an okay, by the right. way. What's going to change in that time between, say, six months and, and nine months? We continue to train them. Now, right. let me tell you, if you really look at them close with all these objective studies, they're, they're really not ready to return at six months. They may be ready to, to get ready to return, right. but there's a difference between returning to play in, in an actual competitive nature versus beginning to work out and do field work. You can keep them busy without putting them back into that, – sure. that's return to play and return to competitive play are two different things. And on that note, you said something that I, that I remember when we talked about six months ago or so about a particular player – you said that he'll return at about nine months and he'll play a season, but he won't be to his 100% pre-injury form until his second season. Yes. They won't be there. They won't be them. They won't reach their full potential that first year back. You know, there's also the other Unless thing that they Peterson. have to get over, and that's called the fear factor. They, if they're f- fearful that they're going to be re-injured, 
then they're not paying. They're, they're thinking about that, and the injury rates go up just from the fear factor. Sure. So you have to worry about all that before you let them go back. So Adrian Peterson, he just signed with the Redskins, your team. Right. Were you involved in that? Yes. <laughs> really? Eh? I told him that, that uh, of course, he's, he's been back playing some, and he's certainly ready to play as a running back. And Do you think he's going to be effective this season? Oh, well, you know, he's a, he's a competitive athlete. And if you see him, he's a mature stud athlete, sure. and, and he's in good shape to play football, believe me. He's very impressive. He's always been that way. Right. and His muscle you, came back in no time when I operated on so him. So when you saw him at five months, you, you said, wow, this is this guy's ready to go? Or you tried yeah, to hold him back? He sort of slipped around me a little bit at five <laughs> or six months, if you want to know the truth. Right. <laughs> so another Redskin I want to talk to you a little bit about, which was debated at the time, was RG3. Uh-huh. Now, this is a complicated one because he was he was at Baylor, and he had his knee operated on. He had on. an ACL done in, in, at Baylor when he was in college. And then it was revised. It, he he retore it when he was playing with the Redskins. And you did the revision on his knee, right? What did you use for his revision? Because I believe he had a BTB from the same knee for his. Well, that that's the gold standard. Sure. Uh, for a real athlete, I'm glad to hear you say that. Particularly an NFL that's football well. player. Yeah. And so he had a PT, BTB done in in uh, college. So the only BTB left to to use was the one in his opposite knee. Okay. So I took a patella tenograph from his opposite knee and put it into the re-injured knee. So there you have it from the the sports medicine man on earth. The gold standard for ACL reconstruction is a BTB autograft. Okay. On that note, what do you think about allografts in ACL surgery? I had a young lady come to see me Monday of this week that had a, an allograph done for her ACL injury. How old? And uh, She was uh, 17 years old, oh. I think. And at six months post-op, she tore the graft. Wow. And now she's having a, thank goodness, we still can do a patella tendon graft on her. Sure. And uh, that's what we're doing to fix her again. You know, when uh, allografts got real popular about... I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, everybody thought if you did an allograft, you didn't have to violate your own body part. Right. And allografts, you could play quicker and come back quicker. So they got popular. And as it turned out, when we followed the results, we found out that they really didn't get you back quicker. In fact, it took longer for them to to mature and become a, a living substance than your own tissue. So we were doing just the opposite of what should have been done. And as we looked at statistics, we found out that even if you had an allograph and you waited long enough for it to heal, there was about a four times re-injury rate compared to your own body part, which was either a patella tendon from your patella tendon graft or it was a hamstring from your own body. So now uh, allografts have, have fallen out of this favor. In fact, I hadn't done an allograph in about four years. Okay. That's just me personally. Some of them are still being done for older patients because it's easier on them. What would they're you not, use? They're not really doing high-level athletics. So. Of course. I think you hear a lot about a lot of people talking about the use of allografts for ACL surgery and it being effective, for, effective or as effective as an autograft for an older patient. 
that's a very small, you know, who tears their ACL, a young, active person. So if you want to talk about that, we can, but this is a very rare, you know, the 50-year-old that tears their ACL is, is very uncommon compared to the 15 or 20-year-old that tears their ACL. So the actual application of these graphs is, is for a small cohort of patients, right? Yeah. It's not my opinion to use an allograph for a high-level athlete at any age, Sure. period. When would you, if you had to say a cutoff on age for your recreational athlete to use an, an allograph, what, what would you say? Uh, you know, everybody talks about using them if you're over age 40, but if you're real high, if you're, you know, age is, is not perfect. If you've got 50-year-old people that are extremely active, I have a skier that's 60 that tore his ACL and is, does all kinds of recreational sports. I did a patella tendon autograph on him. I didn't use an allograph. Right. But uh, it's okay with, with to use allographs as you get older, but for me, I'm 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 not really doing them on anybody. Period. Right. Okay, so we're going to shift topics here a little bit and talk a little bit about orthobiologics, bone marrow aspirate concentrate, and PRP. How are how many of these are you are you doing these days, and what are you doing it for? Well, our major reason for the biologics, when we talk about the knee, is for the degenerative knee that's swelling and painful. It's osteoarthritic. And it's a powerful anti-inflammatory that can control the pain and swelling in an arthritic knee and perhaps in the older patients delay total knee replacement. Now, that's one use for it. The other use for it is in the, as a biologic, is to enhance the healing properties of patella tendon grafts, autographs. Uh, and for some years now, we've been in special athletes We've been doing a patella tendon graph, an autograph, and to help it heal better, we've been adding uh, PRP. P- PRP and fresh stem cell okay. from the iliac crest to, to, at the time of the surgical so, procedure. So that's exactly something I've started doing. I do a BMAC graph from the patient's posterior superior yeah. iliac spine, and I put it into the defect created by the harvest of the patella tendon. Exactly. Yeah. So we talked about this, me and you, about a year ago. I don't know if you remember, but I think... You said you were mainly doing PRP, but it mainly maybe switched to a combination of the two. Do you think anecdotally this, because there's nothing published yet. There was a PRP paper that came out a couple months ago in AGSM that showed that there wasn't much difference. Do you think applying PRP with BMAC is going to maybe bridge the gap and, and improve these patients' outcomes? Because I guess that's one of the problems, right? It's the, yeah, it's we're, the we're, donor we're trying to study morbidity. that right now. Let okay. me tell you what we're doing. You know... We all want, when you do an ACL reconstruction, we all want to try to figure out a way to get the graft to heal and to be able to get the patients back quicker. There's nothing wrong with that. Of course. Uh, so we're doing a, a, a study right now that's placebo-controlled, that's uh, under FDA control, where we are adding a um, uh, amniotic membrane to our graft. I don't even know if you know about this, but we're adding yeah. an amniotic membrane uh, that we that's procured from the uh, placenta. Placenta. Yeah. At the time of, of birth, and we put a wrap around the graft itself on the back table and as an envelope with this placenta Ar- around the BTB around autograph. The, around the autograph. Okay. Around the tendon or around the hamstring. Okay. And then when we put it in the knee, 
we've taken fresh stem cells from the NEI crest and under arthroscopic control at the end of the procedure we inject the, the fresh stem cell Into through the, the umbilical through the amniotic wrap which holds the stem cell right around the graft itself wow. and then okay. we're doing MRIs at three months six months nine months and 12 months and we're also doing the same study every other patient without any stem cell without the wrap and we're doing MRIs on those ACLs and then we're comparing them at 12 months to see if the healing response of the graft is quicker using the umbilical wrap with fresh stem cell to enhance the healing and indeed so far it looks like they're healing up much much quicker really okay. and so maybe at some point it'll be safe to let them go back to their sport at six months so one of the things that's also coming back right now, it seems to have a bit of a reemergence, is the, the ACL repair. So not reconstructing the ACL, but trying to fix the native ACL, which has been torn. Have you, are you doing many of these? or? What, we're doing another, another study where we're, we're actually repairing ACLs that are torn directly off the femur in younger patients. Yep. And... So just so everyone knows, to give a bit of background, there's a particular type of tear where the where the ACL tendon or ACL ligament is largely intact, where it's evulsed from the femur, where you can put a few stitches through the the original ACL and try and reapproximate it onto the lateral femoral condyle to get it to to repair, rather than cutting it out and reconstructing the the, the ligament. And we're not doing this on just ordinary patients. We're doing this in a controlled study that we actually going back and looking at them at six months with the scope under a study to prove that they actually heal and we're following them as a select group. That's that's under a research protocol. So what are you uh, using to make your decision as to who might be a candidate for a rel- Relatively young and when they're torn just like that and we discuss it with the patient and and see if they want to go into a study where it takes control and relook to find out and doing that, but that's okay. a very select patient we're doing it on and right you're, now. And you're basing that mainly. I'm on not the convinced MRI. that it's going to really work, but we'll see. What it, what are early results? Uh, we hadn't got the results, so I can report them at this point. We've just okay. started that a few months ago. Okay, and the patient knows that when. By they the go way, we're putting an internal splint in with it, so internal <laughs> brace, which okay. is another factor. Yeah, of course. So. You're using the MRI to maybe say you're a candidate, and then when you get in there, you got to realize that maybe when you look at it, they're not a candidate. They and might if it's not. Have to we go. go ahead and do a regular reconstruction. Okay, good. But I, we're just doing a few patients with that to see if it works. Um, that's not my high level athlete. That's not my college player. My uh, even my high school senior in high school football player. It's not my NFL player. These are relatively low demand athletes. A lot of skiers go out once a year and have a little tear off the femur like that, and they're not going to ski but once a year. They're not big-time tennis players when they get home, and we are trying that on some of those type patients that are lower demand to see if it'll actually heal. And for your ACL reconstructions, this is a little bit technical now, but you're still doing a transtibial ACL? Yes, I've always done a transtibial. Okay. And you haven't found, obviously, your results are speaking Well, we looked at our results when they were being done through the antimedial portal, which is what you're talking about, yeah. versus the transtibial portal, and we had a higher re-injury rate uh, when we didn't do it through the transtibial portal. 
believe it or not. So now a lot of people have gone back. I never, I never went away from the transtibial portal myself, but my partners, a lot of them started doing anterior medial portals and drilling the femoral tunnel that way. But the statistics showed that they, the, the re-injury rate went up to about 5% compared to a one, one and a half percent with transtibial. So now we're all back doing transtibials. So maybe that's... That's a te- little technical for this conversation. I think so, yeah. That's what we're doing. So talk to me. We just saw we just saw a, an NFL guy as a defensive back for the Chiefs here. You did a BT, ipsilateral BTB autograph for his ACL, and now he's having some pain. One of the things we talked about was this cocktail that you're using for swelling of the knee and how, much, how you're seeing this a little bit more these days. Well, we're seeing that with knees that have been injured, been operated on, uh, that have little early wear patterns. And when they start up with preseason football, regardless of how much they've trained to get ready, they when you put them as a group and start practicing with them, they all swell up this time of the year, which is preseason. Now, once we get them into the regular season, when they can have get into their rhythm, have their so many certain days off each week, they play on Sunday, uh, and the heavy days are only a couple of days a week, they seem to do okay, but it's right now when we see them swollen. And in those patients, we used to have to scope them and wash them out, then they'd miss a good bit of time. Now we're doing an anti-inflammatory cocktail injection, which so what is does that entail? fresh stem cell from the iliac crest, PRP from, uh, at the same time, a hyaluronic acid, which is a lubricant for the knee, yep. and Toradol, which is an anti-inflammatory. And then we put those four ingredients together inject the knee and it's a powerful anti-inflammatory that helps control their swelling so we can get them back going quicker and after this procedure how long will you wait before you let usually it takes back? a couple of weeks couple it depends weeks. on the patient response to it okay they, you're, you're seeing and everybody good has a different response it doesn't work on everybody sure and you're seeing good results from this well i said it doesn't work on everybody but it helps about 70 percent of them sure okay great um I want to ask you specifically about a couple players that sort of have got more interest from from you in the past. The first being Drew Brees. Now I know well, I you, can't talk about a bunch of players. Sure. Drew gives me has given me the the since it happened what ten or twelve years ago. He's given me permission to talk about him, but there are a lot of players that uh, because of personal situations of course, they, that I really can't on. talk about. Drew was one of those unusual athletes, by the way. And I've said many, many times in preference to, to talk about Drew, if you pick the right athlete to take care of, and Drew Brees and Adrian Peterson are two of those athletes, yeah. they can make you look pretty good as a surgeon. So you got to pick Drew is a very phenomenal athlete and one of the most motivated rehabbers I've ever had the privilege of uh, working with. And he had a full 360-degree labral tear. Yeah, I... Uh, uh, he tore his rotator cuff and dislocated his shoulder out the bottom. It's called a subluxation erecti, which is real unusual, where it came out over his head and went out right through the bottom of his shoulder. And so that tore up everything, including his rotator cuff. And Drew miraculously, mainly because of his motivation and how hard he worked, he stayed in Birmingham with us about three to four months rehabbing every day. And he was able to come back and play, and, you know, the rest is history. Right. But it wasn't so much what I did. It was Drew Brees that got back. Same thing with Adrian Peterson, if you want to know the truth. Sure. Good. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing here in uh, in Texas. 
Children's Health Institute just down the road? Well, I got interested in youth sports, as I told you. And I've got two grandkids in the Dallas area, and they're playing something all day long. What do we have? Well, we have three or four million kids in this Dallas metropolitan area. Yeah. Just about every one of us playing sports. So Children's Hospital came to me interested in trying to get involved in youth sports at the pediatric youth age. And so that was right up my alley. And uh, so we built a Andrews Institute over here in Plano that takes care of youth sports injuries up to age 22, which is part of Children's Hospital, which is downtown, as you well know. And my main focus in being here with them is, is trying to get the message out about prevention and trying to control year-round athletics and getting them, making sports samplers out of them and giving these kids proper rest and proper recognition, making sure we've got doctors at all the high schools and athletic trainers like yourself as a doctor at, a, at, at some of the schools and trying to promote sports medicine in this area. And Are you going to start seeing some patients here? Not really. No. I saw a couple today that I've worked patients of mine, but I'm not here to see patients. I'm here to make sure that we get involved in prevention. Sure. Uh, you know, Texas is way ahead of all the other states in, relative to control uh, of, of youth sports and prevention anyway. They've pretty well got all of the uh, the private schools and most of the public schools in the state of Texas already have athletic trainers yeah, certified do. in the schools. And that's way ahead of most most other states. Uh, and so I, my hat's off to Texas for everything they're doing in prevention. Yeah, uh, It's just that we in this area, we got a lot of kids playing sports, and there's a lot of need for help. Yeah, of course. By everybody. Where are you seeing patients still? You're down in Pensacola for most of your time? I'm in Pensacola Monday through Thursday, and then I'm, I come over here about once a month. I'm not really seeing patients. I'm just helping with the system. Yeah. And then I'm in Birmingham some on Fridays and my other place up in Birmingham. Awesome. So if someone, if someone covering, wants to see you, they can. Covering high, high schools. I'm not covering high schools on Friday anymore, but we're all covering high schools, as you well know. And you're, I'm sure you are, too. I am, yeah, up here in Frisco. And, uh, of course, the doctors that do that are, are doing it as Starts volunteers. Tonight. And Starts tonight. Because they love it, and they're yeah. interested in taking care of these kids. And that's the same thing we're doing in Pensacola and in Birmingham. Yeah, so our first preseason game starts tonight. Yeah. Um, I'll be out there from about 6 Thank o'clock you. onwards. God bless you, man. <laughs> it's something that I love to do, so it's good. So from here, you're getting on your jet and you're flying to Washington? Right. Big game tonight? At least tonight? I, that's what I'm that's so what you're far to, That's what I'm planning on doing tonight. Yeah. Good. Well, you're a busy man. Thanks so much for doing this. This has been awesome. Well, thank you very much. It's, uh, it's good. Remember that when we talk about youth sports, we're not trying to keep these kids from playing sports. We're trying to keep them out of the operating room and on the playing field. And that's the whole mission of what we're doing here with the prevention. Good. So this is it, Dr. James Andrews. He's said to be the most important man in sports. I think he probably still is based on talking <laughs> to him here for a few minutes. But thanks so much, Doc. Thank you. All right.
thank you for listening to the first episode of the Sports Medicine Podcast. If you'd like to stay updated on future podcast episodes, please follow us on Instagram at the Sports Medicine Podcast. Like and subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Next episode, Dr. Dold sits down for an exciting interview with the legendary orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine specialist from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush University, Dr. Brian Cole. Special thanks to Dr. Andrews for coming out and recording this episode and to our sponsor, Star Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. This episode was edited by me, Victoria Wickham, and produced by Josh Jones. See you next time on the Sports Medicine Podcast.